Hi, good morning. Good to see everybody here at our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. So we're going to jump right in. We've been doing a series on prayer with this foundation. Does it really work? Right? So for all of us, I think that there is some determination of how we determine whether the prayers do or don't work. And so what we're going to try to do is lay a foundation. So what does it really mean that prayer does work? Because we know that, right? We know that People who read scripture, who call themselves Christians, who know in our heart of hearts that, that Jesus is Lord and Savior, know this. If you pray, it changes things, right? We just know that. And so if it does, why would there this, be this concept that I think has floated around for many of us? I prayed, but I don't feel like it worked, right? Like, why is that there? So we need to, to, to build a foundation, look at what scripture says about prayer, and then try to understand what we can do and then move forward and learn uh, in our own lives. So we built the foundation with this. Number one, we should understand prayer like a child understands a relationship with the father, right? Simply this, if you have a good dad, right, or if you have seen a good dad, this is what you know about a good father. He will give you not always what you desire, but for sure what you need. That's what every good dad does. Every good dad listens to his children Here's what they have to say, and then says, here's what I know is best for you, and he gives it to them. We know that every father wants to hear from their children. We know every father, even though sometimes like the pounding on the door, dad, 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 sometimes feels annoying, but at the end of the day, we know good fathers will hear and listen. That's how it is in a relationship with our Father God, right? Our relationship should start with this. We should approach God just like children approach their father. And then with that, we talked about, well, here's 10 different prayers. That was last week. Like you can look at these 10 different prayers and, and you can do them at different times. They might apply all the time or it might be certain ones that apply at this moment. We said there's 10 prayers that you can go through. Now we're at a point where I think a lot of us have been. So we get to this point where the disciples are. And I think where most of us have been sometime in our life is this. So how do I actually pray? This is what the disciples ask. So kind of a funny story, right? Because these were Jewish kids. So it wasn't like, like we might say, kids that grew up in a Christian home. These were kids that grew up in a Jewish home. If you grew up in a Jewish home, here's what you knew how to do. You knew how to pray, right? Like you were taught from a very young age that three times a day you're going to stop and you're going to say this prayer at this time, and this prayer at this time, and this prayer at this time, right? Like, this is what you're going to do, right? This is the way that you're going to do it. So they grew up very specifically knowing how to pray. But yet, they got to this point where the Jesus came, asked him to follow. They followed Jesus, and around, they're like, that doesn't seem anything like what my dad taught me. Anybody else in that boat? It's like, anybody grow up? with your dad teaching you how to pray? Yeah, so I'll just, yeah, I'll give, you, I'll give you the example for my dad. This is how I had my dad taught me how to pray. So I assumed, again, because kids only know what they're taught, right? So here's what I'm assuming. I'm assuming that the only time that you're supposed to pray is when there's some food at the table. And when there's food at the table, very simply, you just say the same thing every single time, right? This was ours. God is great. God is good. Anybody else have this one? Let us thank you for our food. Amen. And like the faster you got it out, the faster you could eat. So it was really easy. If you were asked as a kid to pray, you didn't really have to think about it. You just recited the same thing your dad did. 
right? Then, this was the funny thing, then I give my life to Christ and I go to church. Well, in church, church wasn't a whole lot different than my home, meaning that the repeating prayers just changed. So for me, it was growing up, you sit around a table and you just recite a prayer. And if you recite a prayer, surely God's happy because at least you said something, right? Well, then I go to church, give my life to Christ. Well, then the reciting just kept going, but it was different, right? So now you just recited a new prayer. And the new prayer was, at least in the church that I grew up in, every single Sunday, you did the same thing. Our Father who art in heaven, any church people in this thing, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom. And you just said it every week. Like you, every week you get in and you stand up at the right time as soon as the organ plays or whatever happens. Like you knew your time and you just recited it. But then you know what happened? So I'm like, oh, I guess it's just you got to memorize prayers and recite them at the right time. And the right time was around a table. And now the right time is when the organ plays, right? Like you just recite them. Then I decide to take our youth kids on a mission trip to Guatemala. So we get these kids, and we get them all ready, and we prepare them. You know, they're going to give their testimony, and then we're going to go out. And this is what was said, and we're going to go out, and we're going to pray, right? Well, I'm just assuming, because the way I grew up, you're just going to go out there and recite something to them, right? But we have people showing up. Like, this is the first thing that happened. I took these kids out, and we're in groups of people, and these kids that are with me, we walk up there, and, and there's this kid that got infection in his heel, and it started to eat through his heel. And so the mom brought him up and said, we want you to pray that God heals his heel. And I'm like, there ain't no reciting in that one. <laughs> like, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to say? And I mean, the missionaries are like, we're going to gather hands and we're going to pray. And I'm like, we're going to do what? <laughs> no, we're going to lay hands on people and we're going to pray. And I'm like, I said, are you allowed to have a timeout? Can we just take one quick timeout? And I'm like, hey, what happens if he's not healed? Like, are we really going to do this? Because, like, in my mind, you see where my mind is? Like, my mind is in this very blocked, do it a certain way, don't kind of put yourself out there. Like, this is putting yourself out there, right? And we, and we prayed, and, and we prayed over, and, and again, like the, the, the missionary taught us, pray expectantly, right, that this is going to be healed. And so that was this whole, like, just blew up my complete environment, what I grew up with, now I don't understand. Well, the disciples were in the same place. They grew up with this. Jesus came along, and they're like, that is not the same as this, so you need to teach us, right? Because here's what they saw, and you guys that have been in this for a while, you've seen the same thing. When you go from just reciting prayers to be religious, to communing with God, and understanding what prayer really is, you can't go back to just reciting prayers. Like, you just can't do it, right? So they were like, we're watching Jesus, and Jesus' prayers work, so we want to figure out how to do it. So he says, if you want to know how to do it, go to, I want to teach you how to do it. Now, here's the important thing. The problem with this scripture is, is that this is why it's got so messed up. So they said, like, we want to learn how to pray. And so Jesus says, this is how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So what people or Christians have done is said, oh, just repeat what he says, and then I get it. That's not what he says. It wasn't teaching them what to say. It was how to pray. You see the difference? 
So even when we teach you this, our expectation isn't that you leave here and you can recite the Lord's Prayer, right? I would rather you leave here and understand why he even said these aspects of the prayer are important because it can be incorporated in multiple different ways in the way that you pray, okay? So when we look at it today, don't look at it as, I gotta memorize it and I gotta say it, and if I say it, then I'm gonna do it because what he's trying to do is to teach you the how, you know, behind it, not what to say, okay? So Matthew 6, that's where we're gonna be. And in Matthew 6, 5 through 15, this is what it's going to teach us first, okay? Do you know the whole conversation? People have said this to you before. There's no wrong way to pray. But there's no, like you can't say, that, well, there actually is a wrong way to pray. Now, when people say that, they're normally saying it from this perspective. They're saying it from this perspective that would be like, okay, you know, I don't really know what to say. I don't really know how to get it out. And so people would say to you, there is no wrong way to pray, which that's right, Okay, but Jesus was identifying a problem with people who were entering into prayer, right? So he's identifying an issue with these people that were praying, and what he wants to do is identify those same things in you, right? So it's not necessarily that it's wrong, but it's the thing that's actually wrong, which we're going to see here in just a second, which is the heart. So let's just read Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. He says, and when you pray, because the disciples had asked him how to do it, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love, pray, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You. So he says, don't do this, right? This is what he says, don't do this. Don't be like the people that pray in a way to be noticed by others, right? So first of all, don't pray with this idea inside of your heart that if you prayer is long and eloquent and people hear me, they're going to look at me and see like just how religious I am. Like you're preparing yourself, like nothing wrong with preparing your prayers, we're all on the same page, like you can write them out. Nothing wrong with any of that. But don't write them out so that you can sound good. Does this make sense? Like you don't have to sound good. Like you don't have to have all the words together. Like some people are like, I gotta write them because I might say something wrong. As long as when you write them, when you say them, that it's still coming from the heart, not just recited words. Does that make sense? Right? Because what he's trying to address is these hypocritical people that would stand in the places where everybody could notice. In church, right? Because it is funny, there are people that love to pray in church, but you see them pray nowhere else. Any people you see, you know the religious people, right? Like you get inside of the church and they're the people that are, that are praying, they're the people that will be the first to pray over you, but you know, when it's outside, you don't see it at all. So he's like, don't be there. Or the street corners is where people were gathered right? So outside of the church, but making sure that outside of the church, everybody could see him. He's like, don't be like those hypocrites. And here was the bigger problem, not what they were saying, but you know why they were hypocrites? Not by what they said, but by what was in here. They said one, here, he was identifying a problem. Just so you know, just become, because you come to a church and you recite a prayer, just because you come to a, a Bible study and recite a prayer, if there's something that's not changed inside of you, you are a hypocrite. 
and you are religious and it is a problem. That makes sense, right? Like you're saying, don't be like that. In fact, I'm going to help you and help you understand how to not be like that. Here's how you can not be like that. Here's a, is a thing that you can do. Because first of all, understand, that is it wrong to pray inside of the church? Is it wrong to pray out loud? Is it wrong to pray on the street corners? No. I mean, if your heart's right, pray wherever God calls you to pray. He was just identifying a problem with them, which was their heart. But he says, I'm going to help you right, learn something about your prayer life. So he says, here's what I want you to do. And it doesn't mean you have to do it all the time. He says, I want you to find a room. Okay, and I want you to go into that room and I want you to shut the door and get alone. Does it mean you have to do it all, that way all the time? Is it the only way that prayer works is if you get in a room and shut the door? So why would he want you to go into a room and shut a door? Because he says, instead of being like them, find a prayer closet, right? And inside of that prayer closet, close the door. And when you close the door, pray to the God who is unseen, Right? And then the God who is unseen will see you and reward you. That's what he says, right? So why? I'm going to give you some ideas. So one of the things you know if you've ever tried this. Anybody ever try a prayer closet idea before, like getting alone? You know what the first thing that happens when you close the door? Is it just like you're automatically in communion with God? Or is all of the things you think about what you should be doing all of a sudden come to the forefront of your mind? Right? As soon as you, this is why people don't do it. They're like, I can't be alone because, you know, I close the door and, you know, as soon as I close the door, I think about all the other things that I should be doing. And that's why I pray driving down the road. Or that's why I pray on the mower. Or that's why I pray in the tractor. Or that's why I pray at work because I'm doing mind numbing work. That's why I do this because I can do the two things at once, right? It works perfectly. Again, is there a problem going down the road and praying? Is there a problem on the, no problems with that, right? But there is a time in your life that you're going to have to stop being efficient with your prayers and being connected with your prayers. Right? Is that me? <laughs> I just keep hearing this noise and I'm trying to decide is it something I'm doing? Okay, so, right? So we, we want to be efficient because it makes sense in our mind. We want to be, be doing two things at once because when you get alone, you really can't be alone because all of your thoughts come in, so it's kind of worthless, right? Like that's where, the way people think. So here's what I'm going to recommend to you. When you get alone, there is a reason that that happens, right? So when you get alone and close the door, God is working on you, right? And the only time that he can work on you is if you will choose to be alone with your thoughts. Some of you choose not to be alone with your thoughts. Well, he can't work on the things that he needs to work on without you and him being alone with your thoughts, right? So when you get in that room and you close the door, all of these things that are gonna come, like all of these things that you should be doing, Right? The first thing that we need to, to, to recognize is, is all of that stuff that you're worried about might be the first things that you want to give to God. Maybe. Right? All of those things that you think that you should be doing, because you know what, what's happening, is you're thinking of things that you think are way more important than being with him. That's what's actually happening. When you get in a room and you close the door and you can only think about these things, what you're showing yourself or what you're unveiling inside of yourself is, is that 
this 20 minutes, this 10 minutes, this 30 minutes where I'm going to shut the door and be alone with my God, that all of these other things must be way more important because I can't even focus on this for 20 minutes. And it's okay because it just makes us aware of it. You need to be aware of it. There might be some things on that list that you just need to say, I recognize I think these things are more important, but they are absolutely not more important then. So what it does for you is figures out your priority list. If you think mowing the yard and trimming the bushes and doing the dishes and you got me, like all of these other things are more important than 20 minutes with God, there might be something you need to fix. Right? It's just something you need to think through. It's something you need to process. There's nothing more important than getting alone. So when you close the door, you can get to a place, and this isn't going to happen just right away. It's going to happen over time. When you close the door, you're going to start having a sense of communion with God that I believe will never happen when you're trying to multitask. So when you're trying to multitask, it's fine. You can pray. God still has your prayers. But I think there is a, a level of communion that happens when you're alone that you can't get done when you're trying to do it when you're doing other things. In that time, in that communion time, when you are alone, right, here's what he tells you. This is cool. The God who is unseen now all of a sudden does what? Sees you. And so he says he'll reward you. What's he rewarding you with? Does that mean that when you close the door, all of your prayers are going to be answered the way that you want them to be answered? No. You know what's going to be answered? The most important prayer that you could ever have, that my God and my Father sees me. Because that's all that matters. In prayer, in communion, the thing that should matter more than anything to us is, is that the God of the universe, think of this, the God that spoke the universe into existence will take an opportunity and say, I see you, I know your needs, I know your heart, I know your desires, I know what's going on, like I see and I know you. There is a sense of peace that surpasses all understanding when the God of the universe sees me. There just is. It's something that you just cannot get in anywhere else and you can't get while you're multitasking. So he says, don't be like the hypocrites. Go in the room. But then he also says, verse 7, and when you pray, don't keep babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need even before you ask him. So here was a problem. Christianity had tended to adopt pagan practices and move them into Christianity and just use them for their own good, right? So some of the things that we see still used to this day, right? So, so uh, some of you are familiar with, you know, people that would have bracelets and they have little rosaries, like there's a bead and you pray across. Again, anything wrong with the rosary, like praying the prayers, no, but when you pray the prayers just so you can get all the way through the rosary without any meaning in your life, is there a problem? Yeah, you see what I'm saying? They, we've adopted traditions that we think that if we just do, if we just pray through, if we just you know, get these things done, then we can bend the will of God into what we want, right? That's what happens with the pagans. So you remember the story in scripture where uh, the prophet Elijah and, and the prophets of Baal met up on Mount Carmel. Does anybody know this story? Well, here was the story. So the nation of Israel is at a place where they had to decide who they were going to follow. They're either going to follow Baal or they're going to follow God. 
So here was the deal. They went up to Mount Carmel. There was an altar. Whichever one could get the fire on the altar was the one that said, this is what we're going to serve. So Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, you guys go first. So this is what they do. They go up there and they pray, right? And they, this is the way pagans prayed. They would just chant these certain prayers over and over and over again. And if it didn't work, they added to that prayer. And they chanted it over and over and over. And guess what? If it didn't work, you just said it louder. And because God's deaf, and for some reason, if you could just, he's old and hard of hearing, and if you just say the prayer louder, surely God's going to hear if you just speak louder. And if you don't speak louder, you can be loud, and you can add to, and you can keep chanting. And if he's not listening, then he must want to sacrifice. So the prophets of Baal would cut their arm and, you know, whatever they needed to do, because somehow... If we say it the right way, we can bend the will of God. Right? That's what the pagans do. And sometimes that's exactly how you pray. Right? You think, well, the reason that God's not listening, I'm saying it wrong, need to say more, need to say it louder, need to say it over and over again. Like, we think that if we do these things, somehow we can just bend the will of God. He's saying, don't be like the pagans. Right? God knows what you need. Amen? Like, God already knows what you need. God knows you. He sees you. We've already established that in your prayer closet. He knows who you are. He knows what your needs are. He sees those things. Don't be like the pagans. Right? Don't just keep trying to bend the will of God because we as Christians are different than that when we pray. And so when we pray, right, we need to pray as we are being seen and we want to be seen by the Father and that we submit to this, these things, and this is how we're going to see what happens next. We submit that in prayer, there are some things that God needs to do in us so that he can do through us. Does that make sense? Right, so this next part where we start going into the Lord's Prayer it starts working on, there are some internal things that as we are praying need to be fixed or worked on to set the foundation so that when we pray or how we pray, we can pray from the right perspective, okay? So don't be like these two things, but he says, then this is how you should do it. This is verse nine. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, okay? Really short. We got, this establishes the whole prayer right? The whole prayer is based upon if you can get these first three elements right. Here's the first element. When you pray, our Father, what is it that we need to settle when we actually say that in it? Because it's not just a holy thing to say, our Father, who in heaven, how be the name? It starts with this idea. If you say, our Father, you are saying it in a way to settle six things inside of your heart, right? That you need to settle these six things in your heart as you're moving on down through the prayer. Here's the first thing, right? You need to settle this. You are a son and a daughter of the king, period. Because here's where some of you are. Some of you have given your life to Jesus Christ, and some of you were on fire for Christ, and some of you are off the rails. No one's gonna nod in church when I say that, right? <laughs> Like, nobody's like, amen, man, it's me, I'm off the rails. But this is what happens with us, right? We all have times in our life where we start drifting. Anybody, is that better? Like, you just drift, and you drift, and you drift, 
And all of a sudden, your prayers are no longer from the perspective of a son, but a perspective of an outsider. Even in the midst of your sin and disobedience, you are still a son and a daughter of the king. Don't let this world tell you anything differently. You still are. So when you do that, you come from a perspective that's established. I'm saying our father for this reason, regardless. Like I make some mistakes. I think we're like all of us, we make some mistakes, we go off the road. But when I still pray, I know he still sees me as a son. I know he still sees you as a daughter. Like those things aren't going to change in the midst of your life. So you got to settle that in your heart when you pray. This is the other thing. Takes away the uncertainty and gives us hope, right? So when we pray, our Father, it takes away uncertainty and gives us hope. How does it take away uncertainty? Well, we've established this clear back when. So if Troy's a good father, right, we know that Troy is going to take the uncertainty of his children out of it for them. They know if they go to their father, that father's going to take care of their needs, right? Takes all of that uncertainty out of it. The idea that if he is a good father, he's going to say, I'm going to be there for you, right? Troy's also not only going to take out uncertainty, you know the other thing that a good father does, regardless of the age of their kids, they're still there as a father. I've said this a hundred times. We think that you stop being a father when your kids are out of the house. You probably become more of a father when they're out of the house than they are when they're home. You never, and so your kids, even in the midst of all of their struggles and all of their trials, you know what, they, what he's trying to teach you? It doesn't matter. You still have a father that you can come to. And I know that's how Troy would be. As long as he's alive, his boys can come to him. Right? Because he's going he's gonna to settle in their heart some certainty. As long as Troy still has breath, there is a certainty that his boys can come to him. Well, he's trying to establish the same thing to us. When you pray, our Father, there is a certainty for every single person in this room. There is a God who will never leave you nor forsake you ever in your life. Never. Regardless of whatever's happening in your life, regardless of whatever is going on around you, it's a, it's a Father that you can go to and a Father that will always be there for you. Here's the other thing. It takes away loneliness. I'm going to give you some marriage advice. Are you ready? Okay. If you are married or have been married, you know, if you're going to get married, I'm going to give you a, a clue of what's coming. At some point in your marriage, you will feel lonely. No? So the women are gone. The men are gone. Lonely. <laughs> I ain't lonely. <laughs> but true, right? There's going to be moments because this is just what happens, right? Like guys, we get, we get busy and we get focused and we get, you know, sometimes we take for granted and, you know, all of a sudden our wives, and this might even happen with you as husbands with your wives, but when loneliness comes, the decision of where you turn could be huge in the outcome of your future because it is coming. You are going to feel it. It is going to come. And here's what he's telling you. When loneliness comes, make sure that you do not get tricked that somebody else is going to fix your loneliness. Don't get tricked. They might be there for a little bit. They might be there for a short amount of time. But you will be lonely again. It is coming again. 
What he's telling you is expect in relationships that you will be lonely. Just know where to turn. Because if you turn to him, he will fill that loneliness that, loneliness that you have that no other person on this earth will ever fill for you. Never. If you've lost somebody, if you've you know, been away from somebody, that loneliness does not get filled by any other person. So he says, that's something that we need to settle in our heart. The other thing that it settles is selfishness. Our father means he's the father of all. He's not just for you, right? So when you pray, you're praying not only for you, but you're praying for all. The way that you pray is not just for your own needs, but for the prayers of not just even your small circle, but the prayers for all people that are out there. So it strips us away of our selfishness. The other thing is it takes away the worry of resources, right? So this is number five, takes away the worry of resources. Meaning that again, back to the analogy again, a good father, if his son needs a loaf of bread, what's he gonna do? Give him a loaf of bread. That's just the way that it works. You know, part of our problem in our world today is we worry a lot about things that God already said that he was gonna take care of. Like we worry a lot about things that he already gave us a promise to say that he was gonna be there for. So when we say our father, we're settling something. Regardless of how I feel or regardless of what's going on around me, our father means that I know that he sees me and is gonna take care of me. Here's the other thing, the last one, six. It settles the obedience issue, okay? So here's, here's what we know. Here's how it should work. I don't know if it always works this way. Sons and daughters should be obedient to their parents. Yes, right? Sons and daughters should be obedient to their parents, right? The idea is, is that God placed parents in the lives of children to guide them in ways to, again, what did we just say? Fathers that will keep their kids out of harm. Give them what they need. Look out for what's best for them. Clear the path. That's what fathers are supposed to do. Clear the path. Help them not go down that path because we've all been down that path. Don't go on that one. Go on this one. This is the way it's supposed to be. Kids are obedient. And you know why they're obedient? Because they trust their father. You know why they're not obedient? Is when they don't trust him. That makes sense? Right? Like a lot of times obedience comes with if I trust you, if my dad said it, even though I think it's stupid, I trust him. Right? If I'm going to do what he told me to do, even though I don't, doesn't make any sense to me. Well, here's the issue in scripture. You got to settle the obedience issue. Who's your father? You only get two choices. God or Satan? In fact, in Scripture, you know what's funny? In Scripture, he looks at religious people. Remember when he looks at the Pharisees and said that, you know, when they're praying, that they're praying to their father, Satan. That's what he says, right? Like, when you're praying, you're praying to your father, Satan. So your obedience declares who your father is. Does that make more sense? Maybe. You know what I mean? Like, what you do or who you listen to determines who you trust. Is that a better way? Right? Like, who you trust determines, like, the obedience and the way that you go. And he says you're either trusting him, God, or you're trusting Satan, one of the two. But you need to settle the obedience issue. So when you say, our Father, you're settling this, I'm going to be obedient to the one who is my dad. Right? Not to the things in the world. Then he goes on, okay? So those are the, the six things that you need to settle or will settle. Then he goes into hallowed is your name, which means holy is God's name. Now, 
Part of the problem is with this is when we look at this, we think of holiness as religious activity, right? Like people will be like, oh, that person's holy because they always go to church or that person's holy because they, you know, they show up at all the church events or that person's holy because they do devotions or this person's holy because they do. Hallowed be thy name is the idea that if we think God is holy, the actions of our life will prove what we say with our mouth that he is a holy God. So when you say, our Father, hallowed be thy name, it doesn't just mean, and we're going to go through the holy religious acts of religion, and somehow that means that we are then holy. It says that the actions of our life or the things of our life will match that the God that we say is holy, that we're going to do or have action in our life that would prove that same thing. Right? So here's the four ways. Acknowledge that he exists. Right? So if you want to hallowed God's name, if you want God's name to be holy, then you need to, in the everyday lives of the things that you do, you need to acknowledge that God exists. So we got a video we want you to watch here. So on this video with Shani, Shani talks about what, which is what most of us go through, right? So most of us go through some things in life where we have a decision. We either choose that God exists and get him involved or choose that God doesn't exist and do it on our own, right? That's pretty much the choices of, that all of us have in everyday life. True? Right? Like, so for Shani, this situation in her life, she had to make a decision of, is she going to get God involved, and how is she going to get God involved? And then when she does, how much is she going to actually rely on him? So I want you to watch this video, and we'll talk about it after it's done. Prayer's always been a part of my life. Um, even like when I feel like I wasn't really walking the way that I should like I've never given up on praying like I don't even know how that would um how that would like how people can do that I have, was done having kids I I knew that like I always just was never a kid person um so once I had a boy and a girl I was done and that was that my cousin um was expecting twins her family wanted to um have her abort them because she wasn't capable of taking care of the the little girl that she had and she just was not gonna have that. A few months, or a few weeks went by and that she could not take care of them properly at all. So some of our other family stepped in and had taken um, all three of her kids and they like separated them just to make sure that they were being fed and just being taken care of properly. I get a phone call from the, the mother's aunt and she was like, so the family that has Buddy, um, they he's, they can't keep taking care of him, so I think we're gonna just basically pass him back and forth amongst our family until we figure out what's you know what we're doing with the kids. And I was like, you can't do that. You, he can't be passed and back and forth. You know, like I'll take him. So um, we had him we had him until sep no August fourth, and then the parents wanted him back. I stayed again in my prayer closet daily. I cried in there. I, um, I, I can't even explain the, the praying that I did. I get a phone call. I believe it was September 4th. So it was one month, um, later my, uh, cousin called me and she was like, um, Hey, do you want to adopt buddy? And I was like, what? And she said, yeah. Um, do you want to adopt him? And she told me why she couldn't take care of him. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I will. I would go through, uh, his brother and sister, both are, are deaf. Um, I was asked 
if he was deaf because he wouldn't respond to some of our friends and stuff. And I was like, I honestly don't know. I'm, you know, waiting to get him into the doctor. Um, um, it's, I want to say all that because we, my whole family, my two other two kids and my husband, we would lay hands on him. We would quote, quote scripture over him. We prayed over him every single day. We never missed a night and there's nothing wrong with him, which is amazing because they have genetic problems too that really can't be explained. But I know that it was prayer. Like there's nothing that anybody can tell me that like, no, that was prayer. His looks changed. He doesn't have the same issues. Um, I, that was pretty amazing to me. If someone is struggling to pray, um, I would want them to know that there's not a right or wrong way to pray, that you just go and you talk to, you know, God as it's your father or your friend. So in Shani's story, right, it's a lot of not the circumstances, but just the way that it plays out, right? Like, I think God wants me to do, and then you do, and it doesn't work out. Right, so she takes him, and then it goes back to the parents. So she had a choice. Like, goes back to the parents. What do you do? Well, I guess it's just God's will for him to go back to the parents, and you just leave it? Or you get in your prayer closet and say, God, I think something should be different. Like, I'm going to get in my prayer closet. I don't think this is right. I'm going to pray, God, that, like, you intervene. You do something. I'm going to engage as if you exist, as if you're the creator of the universe that can change the trajectory of what's going on in this situation. Right, and not only change the trajectory of what's going on, and then they get the the, the child and they adopt him, and th this is the doctor's outcome, right? Well, you know, probably genetically going to be deaf, so you could be like, you know what? We'll just accept whatever God's will is, and if he's deaf, he's deaf. Or you can just flat out say, you know what? I don't know right now what God's will is, but we're going to lay hands on him and we're going to pray expectantly that the God of the universe, who spoke this world into existence, can make him hear, right? Like those are the things that we that, that expectantly move to those places as pray as if God exists in those situations. Here's the next one. Have true knowledge about him. So to be able to hallowed be his name or holy be his name, you probably better know him. Right? It's probably a good idea for us to do things that allow us to engage into relationship so that we can know him at a deeper level, so that as we know him as a deeper level, we will understand his holiness, not based upon religion, but based upon relationship. Like, I know my dad, and because I know my dad, I know these things about him, right? Important part. The other one is this, is have an awareness of his presence. So one of the things that I want to challenge you with is, is that this should be an overflow of your entire week, right? So part of the problem with people is they'll come into church and they'll be like, oh, you know, I came in and I didn't really feel God today. I don't know what it was. If it was just the worship or it was just the preacher sucks, like, I don't know, but I just didn't feel it. <laughs> and I'm saying, here's what I want you to hear. Probably the reason you didn't feel it is because you didn't see him all week. Because if you saw him all week in the everyday things that were going on, you're surely not going to miss him here, right? Like my thought is, is that probably what happened is you feel like you can live an entire week without ever thinking about him. And then when you come here, all of a sudden there's going to be this awareness and spark that's just going to be like, oh, the presence of God. Right? That's not how it works. 
We wake up every single day and you look at the sunset, you look at the sunrise, you look at your kids, you look at the people around you, you look at the things that God created. This is what he says. When you see the things that God created, you will see him. That's what he says. If you're recognizing him all week long, you're going to come in here and you're going to be like, I've seen him all week and now I'm gathered with other people that have seen him all week and that's why this is so exciting. I'm gathered with a bunch of people who've seen him all week long and now we're all here and the presence of God is with us. Right? So those are the important part is that if how will be his name that we have to acknowledge the awareness of his presence. The other one is, is that we need to be we need to attract others with the way that we live our lives or the commitment that we have. So if God is holy, if God is Father, then the way or the things that we commit our life to, people should look at you and say, wow, that is your Father, God? That's your dad? Him, he He's different than anything else that I've ever seen. Not that I see him, but because I see you. I see the decisions that you make. Not that you just go to church, right? We already know this. This is a huge problem. You know, part of the problem with people trying to find Christianity is people that go to church and they're complete butt faces during the week. Right? Like it doesn't even work. Like nobody sees, nobody sees God because people go to church. People see God because you take what he did with you in this moment and you take it out with you during the week and you show God to the rest of the world, right? Like that's, what he, that's how he sees him. Like people will see through the commitment of our life. So he tells us, again, our father, settle some things. Understand what it means when he says, hallowed be thy name. Like what does it mean that God's name is holy? Here's some actions. And then he helps us settle this last thing. This is verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, here's, here's the last thing that I want to bring to you, something to think about. So in your lives, here's what you have to process. So there are two kingdoms, very, distinct, uh, very different, right? So there's the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth are not the same very clearly, right? What he asks us to do is two things, right? He asked us to bring the kingdom that exists in heaven to intersect with the kingdom that is on this earth, right? That these two things will come together and that the kingdom of heaven will dominate the kingdom of this earth, okay? So that the things that we do bring heaven to earth, but here's what we know. This kingdom in which we live in will never fully be God's until Jesus Christ comes back, period. But in the meantime, the things that we're doing on this earth can bring the kingdom of God into the kingdom of earth, right? And we can intersect in those two areas. And this is what he's praying for us to do. Here's the problem. You have grown up, right, in a society that has taught you to build your kingdom, and honestly has taught you how to pray for your kingdom, right? Here's how it works. So they teach you, right? If I just pray for and I graduate and get a degree, if I pray for and I get married, if I pray for and I have kids, and if I pray for 
and I get my dream house, and I pray for, and I become financially comfortable, and if I pray for and save right, I can have retirement. Anybody following me? This is what you're told to pray for. You're, You're told to pray for your kingdom, right? You know what the problem with that is? See, the problem with this is, not that it's wrong to pray for that, but wrong when this is your foundation, okay? Not that you shouldn't be praying for it. I, I pray for this, but when this becomes your foundation, this is what happens. You remember the story? Two people built a house, one on rock and one on sand. Because here's where some of you are struggling today. You've been praying for your kingdom for so long, and here's what you can't figure out. The storm comes, and you just keep getting knocked down. You lost your wife. You lost your husband. You lost your job. Your kids are crazy. You you see where I'm going, right? And then pretty soon you're down here and you just can't figure out, God, what's going on? What's happening? Everything around me is falling apart. You know why? Because you built your faith on your kingdom and not his, period. You built all of your hope and understanding on the worldly way of doing things. And when your kingdom gets disrupted all of a sudden, you have no idea what to do. Right? Like you have no idea where to go. Because I'm, I'll just tell you this. If this is you today, again, please pray for these things. But if this has become your kingdom, I'm going to guarantee you something. Something that scripture says. The storm is coming, and some of that's going to move. It might be your marriage. It might be your kids. It might be your money. It might be something. But this is moving. Just the way the world works. That's what he tells. The rains come. The storms come. Just understand this. You know, most of these things that we just talked about that we build on, you know what you'll realize someday? All of that's burning up anyway, and it'll be gone. And you either watch him go away here or you watch him go away when you go to heaven someday. It's all going away. So you can watch it deteriorate on earth or you can watch it in heaven and recognize it's the, that this just isn't what to build on, right? So our choices are, how then do we pray for God's kingdom to come, right? How do we keep praying for these things but it not be foundational? Let me teach you a different way to pray. So if you're praying for God's kingdom to come, I'm going to tell you something. I know some of you are going to be mad about this, but don't be mad, right? Because this is what Scripture says. If you want to start with praying for God's kingdom to come, you know what the most important prayer for you should be every single day? For those who are lost, not for you. Not for you. You, every single day, should open your prayers with our Father, I'm going to settle some things in my life. How will be thy name? And I'm going to tell you, the most important thing to me is not what I can get, but the salvation of other people. So that someday when I stand in heaven, I want to be able to stand in heaven, and I want people to be up and say, you know why I'm here? I'm here because of you. Thank you. I'm here because you chose to put his kingdom before your kingdom. I am standing in heaven today because you chose that the first thing that you're going to pray about is my life. And God did something in me because of the power of your prayer and because of the power of your life. And if you don't have the heart, I just want to be careful when I say this, but listen to me. If you don't have the heart for lost people, I'm just wondering where your heart is. 
God said he came to seek and save lost people. You know this about us. Do we want to disciple people? Absolutely. We want to reach them. We want to teach them. We want to send them out. We want to reach them. We want to teach them. We want to send them out, period. But I think we spend way too much time trying to fit inside of this comfort zone, right? Like the, the things that are normal to us. And then we just watch churches naturally die over time because they forget that the first thing that you should be doing is pray for those who don't know them, period. So I'll give you a challenge, right? So the worship team's gonna come back up. We're gonna finish up. I'm gonna give you a challenge. Here's your challenge. Whether it's two, three, 10, whatever, you should have a list of the names of people that don't know Jesus that you wake up every single day praying for, praying that they will come to know Jesus someday. And I will tell you right now, if you don't have at least two people in your life, you better change some things that you're doing. If you don't know two people, because remember why you're still here, right? Remember why we're still here, right? Because you can do everything else in heaven, right? You're, you're here because there's only one thing that you can do before the day that you die, right? Reach people, reach people, reach people. That's, that's what you can do here that you can't do somewhere else, right? You exist to reach people. If you don't know or one lost person or two lost people in your life, then the purpose of you being here, right? The reason that we exist, then we're missing the point. So if you don't know and pray, I bet you God will reveal somebody to you. <laughs> right? I don't think God's gonna have any kind of problem revealing something or someone to you that you should be praying for. So I would just say, I always say make a 10 most wanted. Make your 10 most wanted list. If yours just five, whatever that is, keep it, put it in your Bible before you ever do your devotions by name. Pray for those who don't know Jesus. And then what's cool, right, is when you can start being like, and I saw him baptize, and I saw him do. I mean, you know what I mean? Like that's the things that we should be celebrating. Like, man, I've been praying for, and they came to know, and things changed. Because God changes things, right? That's, that's absolutely what we're praying for. And we're praying, like some of you are thinking, this person will never come to know. You're right if you're not praying. Right? The power of prayer changes things. And this is what we want in the lives of people is we want to be able to change things. I'm going to give you another thing to think about. So this is a book I have up in my office. I use it multiple different times. Um, but this book is called Operation World. And so one of the, again, problems that we have here is, is that sometimes we just think that the United States of America is the only people that are in trouble, going to hell, or the only people that are going to heaven. There is a whole world out there that you should be praying for. And sometimes it's hard to think about it. In fact, I just grabbed it. I took it out, lost it during the first service. But I looked this up, Jamaica. So a lot of us, when you think about Jamaica, right, here's what you think about blue seas and the Caribbean and hanging out and beautiful resorts and all of the things that Jamaica can offer you. But in this book, it tells you that less than half of the population of Jamaica know Jesus. So we think about, I'm going to plan a trip and all these incredible things. And you think and you plan and you process and you put all these things together for all these places in the world that you want to go. Here's my question. How much time do you spend praying for the people of Jamaica or the missionaries in Jamaica or the things that are going in Jamaica? Because there's a whole world out there that doesn't know Jesus. 
And what does he want you to do about it? So Operation World, this is a book that you can buy, helps you do that, helps you go through, pick the places that you want to be able to pray for, tells you all about what their prayers are, answers to prayer, things that they want you to be involved in, and and it's a great opportunity for you to think outside of the box, okay? Now, here's your challenge this week. So those two things, get some top 10, but I want you to start, take 30 minutes, this is what I want you to do, If it can't be 30 minutes, take 20 minutes. If it can't be 20 minutes, take 10, but don't go under 10 minutes. I want you to get alone in a room this week and close the door, and the only thing I want in that room is not a scripture, not a devotional, just something to write on, okay? And I want you to get alone in that room, and I want you to focus on communing with God, praying that God will speak to you, right? I think some of you found yourself in this place where you pray a lot, but you think it's a one-sided discussion. Anybody ever have that? Like I pray a lot, but I never seem to hear anything, right? So I want you to get alone and and I want you to at least do it once a week, but I want you to get alone and I want you to pray to hear what God has for you. I want you to just sit there and I want you to listen, right? Whatever it takes for you to hear. And then I want you to write down whatever he says to you. Now it might seem funny, like I had a feeling You know, don't think about whether the feeling's from Satan or God. We're trusting this week that if you get in your prayer closet, God's speaking to you. Write it down. What did he say? Then, once you write that down, I want you to go do whatever it says. Whatever he tells you to do, that's what. Could be pray for somebody, could be talk to somebody, could be call, could be invite over, could be whatever, but I want you to do it, right? And then I want you to pick one trusted person that you have in your life, and I want you to go to them, and I want you to say, God spoke to me this week. And here's what he said. And here's what I did. And you might be thinking, this is weird because like, it's not this whole plan, but it doesn't matter. It's just speaking that God exists and that we still are bringing God into the things that we're doing. Good? Okay, if we stand so I can pray for you. Heavenly Father, we love you so much and we're thankful that... um, You can give us some guidelines on how to deepen our relationship with you, deepen our communion with you. Lord, we're thankful that you are a father, our father, who changes things in our lives, starting with our own heart. Lord, I pray today for each one of us that we will hear from you. Lord, we're praying expectantly that if we get in a room and we shut the door, you said, to the God who is unseen, you, Father, will see us. Lord, we pray that we're seen this week. We pray that, you, that we can hear from you this week. Lord, I pray that the actions of our lives will prove you to be holy. Lord, I pray most of all that we'll focus on your kingdom and not ours. Lord, we'll pray about those who don't know you and we'll celebrate those whose lives will be changed forever. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.